RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our Patreon supporter, Jim DeVico. We thank him and all our other patrons for their monthly support. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 371 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, and your weekly report from the Star Trek multiverse, recorded live on Tuesday, June 19th, 2018, and available for download or streaming on Friday, June 22nd, at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kenna. And I'm Anthony. Well, Kenna, we've got a lot of news to cover. Why don't you tell us what's going on this week? Well, this week we have some more details of Star Trek Discovery's Emmys push, and we're talking about the biggest Star Trek news in recent history, a big shakeup of the showrunning staff at Discovery, and brand new Star Trek maybe in development. In Star Trek Online and gaming news, we're catching up on all the latest that the gaming world has to offer. And later, our science advisor, Dr. Robert Hurt, is here with another report from the Astrometrics Lab. And of course, as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Captains, those hailing frequencies are always open, and you know we love to hear from you between episodes, so please reach out to us. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. We're on Twitter at Priority One Pod. You can even send us an email via incoming at Priority One Podcast.com. Captains, we need to take a moment to thank our patrons who each month donate their hard-earned money to make sure that we continue to produce this show week to week. And we are so very grateful for those contributions. Your support helps us keep the lights on, the servers running, and the team producing. A very special shout out to Doug Robeson, who increased their contribution this month. Thank you so very much. If you've been wondering what it is that you get in return for becoming a patron, we encourage you to visit patreon.com forward slash priority one, where you could see a full list of perks. One of those perks is an extra episode of Priority One titled After Hours, where we review the latest episode of a particular science fiction show that uh, we may find interesting. For instance, we're now reviewing Netflix's Revival of Lost in Space. Now, Captains, we understand that a financial contribution may not be possible, but there are other ways that you can help support Priority One Podcast. For instance, share the show with your friends. Let them know that they can get their weekly roundup of Star Trek news right here on Priority One. Now, let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's check it out. Last week, we reported that CBS was showing off its all-access flagship, Star Trek Discovery. Hoping to garner the attention of Emmy voters, CBS hosted panels, offered interviews, and hit YouTube with its Star Trek cast and crew. This week, the team continued its onslaught, this time taking to social media. 
in three time-lapsed videos posted on Instagram, CBS TV Studios featured Mary Chifo, Sarah Mitich, and Riley Gilchrist's transformations into their alter egos, Lorel, Ariam, and Shikar the Andorian. The videos are fascinating and fun, and we highly recommend that you trek it out. Now, I it's rare for me to say that CBS does something right, um, but I actually really appreciated these. So I think these, these little um, short videos were absolutely perfectly suited for the platform that they choose to put them on, which was Instagram. I mean, I'm on Instagram. A lot of the people that I follow are actually uh, makeup artists and people that are doing interesting things with um, makeup, beauty, products, whatever. And a lot of people do the same thing. A lot of influencers do exactly the same thing with the time-lapsed uh, photography of how they do their makeup. So this was perfectly suited for the platform that they were on and really, really interesting. I, I saw the one with Arium first, and I don't know if, if you've ever seen the actress Sarah Medich in real life. She's traditionally beautiful, blonde-haired, LA Hollywood type and then they completely get rid of all of that and make her gray and plastic and it's um, it's a wonderful transformation to see yeah. and thank god I don't have that job is all I have to say. Yeah. I, I hope we get to see more of Ariam in season two because that's a lot of work that she has to go through for such little screen time we've seen her in season one. What I think is great about Discovery and this this push is that we now have an opportunity to see Star Trek in development in a way that we've never seen before, right? Not in Deep Space Nine, not through, not even, you know, not Enterprise, not even the, the recent films. I think they're doing really well with kind of giving us a, as recently, I shouldn't say always, mm -hmm. but they're recently, most recently with these this Emmy push, doing really well at, at including the fan base and showing those behind the scenes in a way we've never seen before with any previous Star Trek. So while we're still on Emmy talk, if you recall to last week, we introduced the big categories that Discovery had submitted for consideration. But the story doesn't end there. Overall, Star Trek Discovery has been submitted for consideration in 21 categories. With multiple submissions for some categories, that's 35 individual submissions overall. Now, the categories in question include both top categories, or those that are presented during the Emmy telecast, and those in the creative arts categories, which recognize the more technical achievements in television. In other words, everything from best drama series to best sound editing. For a full list of submissions, check out the show notes. Now, it's worth noting that Star Trek is no stranger to the Emmys, but the franchise has not received a top category nomination since 1994. Star Trek The Next Generation's first nomination for Best Dramatic Series was in its final season, and the franchise has yet to receive one since, according to GoldDerby.com. Fingers crossed that Discovery can break the streak. Discovery is having a difficult time keeping captains, and we don't mean on the ship. It was reported Thursday by The Hollywood Reporter that Aaron Harberts and Gretchen J. Berg would no longer serve as showrunners for Star Trek Discovery. Taking over as the show's third showrunner, or fourth if you count Berg and Harberts separately, is Alex Kurtzman. In a statement released by CBS Television Studios, quote, We've made some producer changes at Star Trek Discovery. The series continues under the creative vision and leadership of executive producer and co-creator Alex Kurtzman. Discovery remains on course for season two in 2019 with new and continuing stories that build on its successful premiere season, end quote. According to The Hollywood Reporter, sources say the decision to release Berg and Harberts was not due to creative vision, 
but rather because of a ballooning budget, as well as reports that the pair had become, quote, increasingly abusive to the Discovery writing staff, end quote. Harberts and Berg were not the only departures. It was also reported that executive producer Akiva Goldsman, who served as then-executive producer Alex Kurtzman's right-hand man, has not returned for season two. According to the Hollywood Reporter article, quote, Goldsman was brought in to help build the world of Discovery, but is said to have had a management style and personality that clashed with the writing staff, end quote. For a link to the report, check out the show notes. So when this news broke... My initial reaction was, well, that's weird because the normal reason why you let go of showrunners is because of creative differences or budgetary or staff issues. And this was before the news about the other stuff came out. So when I heard that there was also an issue with ballooning budgets and with personnel treatment, it made perfect sense. Now, I know a lot of people are you know, look at this Alex Kurtzman taking over as a strange uh, occurrence or or like he's been brought in to do this. But he's he's a co-creator on the show and he's also been with the show as an executive producer since the very beginning. In fact, he was one of the first two people to come on the show with Brian Fuller. So Alex Kurtzman has actually been with the show since the very beginning and has probably been the head of the creative department since it started. So him taking, so Alex Kurtzman taking the reins is actually a step down for him. Normally the executive producer would probably be in their production offices, sometimes even in, in, in another city. He could be in LA at his production offices and communicating with the production staff in Toronto, in, where the, whereas the showrunners are typically on set at the studio in Toronto. So this is actually kind of a step down for him to, to come in and take over for the last uh, for the second half of this season. Or I don't know if it's the second half, but they just went on hiatus. So it made sense for them to do this. Um, and interestingly enough, I, this kind of stuff happens all the time. So I look at this as not a huge deal, but definitely will probably feel the effects of it later on in the second season. Of discovery. So this is actually a really difficult thing to talk about because two major things happened this week that we really can't talk about uh, individually. So can we talk about the next story and then we'll talk about it all in context together because I don't think you can talk about one without talking about the other and I don't want to confuse people by skipping ahead. You're right. On Tuesday, CBS Television Studios announced that Alex Kurtzman has extended his production agreement through 2023. Under the agreement, CBS Television Studios has the exclusive rights to produce any TV content developed or produced by Kurtzman or his production company, Secret Hideout, for the next five years. Sound boring? Well, hold on. From the press release, Kurtzman will also, quote, supervise the expansion of CBS's Star Trek franchise for television, developing new series, miniseries, and other content opportunities, including animation. End quote. According to a report from Variety, sources say there are currently multiple Star Trek projects in development. While details are, not surprisingly, scarce, some of the possible projects believed to be in the works include a Starfleet Academy series, a limited con series, an animated series, and at least one other series whose details are currently unknown. The Starfleet Academy series is expected to be developed by Stephanie Savage and Josh Schwartz, 
the same team that rebooted Dynasty and created Gossip Girl and Marvel's Runaways. The Hollywood Reporter continues the rampant speculation, stating sources report that Kurtzman and Akiva Goldsmith are working on a project that will feature Patrick Stewart reprising his role as Captain Jean-Luc Picard. If you recall, Stewart seemed to hint that something may be in the works a couple of weeks ago while giving a red carpet interview. According to The Hollywood Reporter, CBS has declined to confirm and sources say the deal is too far from complete to comment on, possibly so far from completion that it may fall through. So much speculation. President of CBS Television Studios, David Staff had high praise of Kurtzman, saying of the agreement, quote, There is a very short list of writer-producer-directors that every film and television studio wants to be associated with, and Alex and his secret hideout team are always at the top, end quote. I'll be honest with you, there is a lot to unpack here. Um, I think... Sadly, I think the departure of Aaron Harberts and Gretchen J. Berg is going to be uh, phenomenally overshadowed by the revelation that, or the announcement that Alex Kurtzman has a has now got a five-year contract for his production company exclusively to produce content for CBS, including potentially developing Star Trek. I almost feel bad for Harberts and Berg because they were gone for like five minutes and everybody's forgotten about them and everyone wants to know about new Kurtzman. I wanted to start off by just pointing out every every social media feed ever sort of blew up with this announcement. Basically, everyone seeming to think that this is a definite, we are definitely getting brand new Star Trek content in the next five years. And I just want to point out that that is not what the press release says. (laughs) The press release says that he's going to supervise the expansion of the franchise by developing new series and, and other content opportunities. And that does not in any way indicate that any of that will ever be produced. I hope it does. I don't want to sound super cynical, but it does not say we're committing to spending X amount of money on Star Trek, or we are committing to bring out three new series of Star Trek. What they've done is that they have taken a five-year contract with Alex Kurtzman and his production company and said, you guys can only work for us. You can work for us developing Star Trek and other things, but that's all. you're only going to be working for us now. That's what the deal was. And I kind of feel like... I'm a little upset, actually, that they splashed Star Trek all over everything because I kind of feel like they used the Star Trek franchise as a way to stir up excitement over this deal. And I'm not I'm not really sure it means what people think it means. I do want to kind of frame this and put this in perspective. Um, Alex Kurtzman and his former partner, Roberto Orsi, who wrote the 2009 Star Trek movie, their previous production company, KO Paper Products, has been working with CBS television for a number of years. Most notably, their their first um, production was the, the reboot of Hawaii Five-0. So, so Alex Kurtzman has had a, a long-standing relationship with, with CBS from a production company standpoint. Once they kind of split up and went their own ways, Alex Kurtzman started uh, his new production company, Secret Hideout, which actually has been the production company for Discovery since the beginning. And he teamed up with Brian Fuller. Also, I would like to mention that this is not the first time that uh, Alex Kurtzman and Brian Fuller have been involved with Star Trek and CBS. They pitched a show called Star Trek Federations probably six six or ten years ago. And so they've they've been developing Star Trek together 
uh, and Alex Kurtzman has been talking Star Trek with CBS for a very long time. So this is not this is this is nothing new. The the exclusivity contract is in my mind just the next natural step to a long standing good working relationship. A lot of the shows that Alex Kurtzman has produced for CBS has actually been quite successful. Um, I personally give Alex Kurtzman about a 50-50 split uh, as far as the quality of his production work overall, movies and television, but I think that his heart and mind is in the right place with Discovery and I do look forward to what he has coming. This this too I think is more about the exclusivity of the Star Trek content with CBS. I think that we will see something new come out of this. I don't think we're going to get all of this stuff because there's no way they're going to make all of it. But I think we will see something new. And the reason I say that is because of CBS's Emmy push and because of the very much desired remerger or reunification of CBS and Paramount, I think CBS wants all of Star Trek back. I think they want it to be their Marvel universe. And I think it's all about money. And I think that Alex Kurtzman has been involved in both film and television for Star Trek. He's the logical choice to head this up. Whether or not he's the best choice is yet to be seen, in my opinion. I Again, he's 50-50 in my book. And now they're starting over fresh with a new vision. But we've sort of got the same thing with uh, Aaron Harberts and Gretchen Berg leaving. I very much enjoyed their their driving force for the show, but I'm sad to hear that there were some issues behind the scenes and I would never want anybody to feel uncomfortable on a, on a, on a production set like that. I've, I've been on production sets where people have felt uncomfortable and it's a really, it's a really crappy thing. So I'm really glad that this has been taken care of. I'm glad that they didn't wait till the end of the season and they did it right before the hiatus. So it didn't interrupt the production. And I think that it'll be pretty seamless when it goes through. Kenna, you mentioned this is the rampant speculation of all these new projects. Like, yay, exciting, super exciting. I agree with you that this is this is a, a marketing push where they're using Star Trek to kind of propel and put this this best foot forward kind of thing. Like, no, there's nothing wrong. Just because Harberts and Berg were fired for a toxic environment doesn't mean that, that that Star Trek is on its way out. No, no, no. This is great. This is, you know, that's, that'd be wonderful if they do, in fact, create a Marvel universe the way Antony compared it to. Cautiously optimistic. That's what I am. It's just simply cautiously optimistic. I would love an animated series. Remember several years ago, somebody, an artist had created these animated versions of, like, TNG, DS9 in the, in the, in the style of, like, the... Um, Agent Kim, Kim Possible, the Disney Kim animation Possible. stuff, Kim Possible. Um, You're showing your age, that, kind of stuff, that was really exciting. It was something that you know I would have enjoyed, you know. And then we had we had something like uh, the Tron animated series that Disney had produced for a season. That was great. I would love to see these this this type of animated content because I think they can explore things that you would not normally be able to explore with live action. So, yeah, this is all great news. Hopefully we see that con miniseries that uh, we speculated. Well, Nicholas Myers actually said he's doing that pretty much. Uh, the last time we talked about this, he right, was like, yeah, right. there's this thing that I'm doing, but it's totally on hold. 
pending the whole merger business. We talked about it a few weeks back. So it's good to hear that they're referencing it here because I think that's probably the same project that he was talking about. So hopefully that will go through. Um, can we just talk about the Starfleet Academy series that I've been wanting for years and years and years and has now been referenced by, okay, to be fair, sources in The Hollywood Reporter. But, you know, that's a reputable Hollywoodish uh, publication. I am so desperate for them to make a, like, young adult, trashy Starfleet Academy series. I'm so desperate for it. I will show up. I will pay money to see it. I want to see it so bad. And I think if they want a key into a cinematic universe the way that Marvel has done it, that is such an excellent way to bring in new blood into the series. I just, that's, of all of the stuff that they have announced, or (laughs) rumored, rumored to announce that is my one thing one thing i'm not keen on cw trek like carlos perez writes in the chat things like the flash like legends of tomorrow you know as far back as smallville are definitely geared towards a teen to early late teen to early 20s kind of uh demographic yeah and sad old moms as well but but <laughs> I I would love I would love it for, for my personal direction where I hope they take something like Starfleet Academy is something more like Agents of Shield. I like that perspective. I like that it's it's still it could still cater to the prime time television demographic, but it's not so like heart wrenching teen drama. Yeah, I mean I think there's a lot you could do. There's a big difference between like um, a serialized young person drama and Gossip Girl. Right. Uh, I think they'd have a little bit of difficulty bringing something that was truly trashy into the Star Trek universe, especially since we're talking about um, the the futuristic utopia where a lot of this kind of the drama that we associate with those teen drama shows uh, theoretically has kind of gone, right? Um, but I still think there's a ton that you could do with it. And there are things that are always, always going to be dramatic for young people. And it's a little bit like relationships, coming of age, um, social activism, you know, in the context of, you know, the larger society, all of those type of things would be perfect for a focused show for young people. Now, here's here's where things are going to get tricky, right? Is that all of this is probably going to be on CBS All Access. <laughs> and I will pay for it. I will pay for that on CBS All Access. I would pay for that before I would pay for Star Trek Discovery. Sorry, not sorry. Well, no, that brings up a great point, though, is that I think that what they're saying here is that they want to diversify the franchise. They You have, you, have, you know, everything from... from from the next generation to enterprise was all pretty much the same age level. It was all the same, you know, types of, of issues and things. Then discovery comes along. And one of the criticisms that I hear from fans of discovery is that, Oh, it's too adult. The themes are too strong. That's fine. You still have 700 hours of star Trek. You can go and watch. And now they're planning on doing more for different ages, animated series for the kids, you know, as you said, trashy CW tween stuff for 
old sad moms. Ooh. I disagree, by the way. I think the CW superhero shows are amazing, and I love every single one of them. And this is only going to help to bring in more fans. And I think that that's what they want to do. Is they CBS really sees this as their, you know, as their stake. You know, this is their flag. They're going to pitch it. They're going to they're going to get everybody to come and watch Star Trek on CBS All Access, and they're going to make a ton of money. That's their plan. So I think that brings us to our first community question this week. If you could help develop one new Star Trek series, what would it be? Let us know in the comments section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO371 or by replying to our social media posts of our community questions. Well, that's it for this week's Star Trek news. Now let's find out what happened this week in the world of Star Trek gaming. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Captains on PC will have the opportunity to advance their R&D efforts. From now until Monday, June 25th, you can earn extra R&D materials and R&D school XP during the research and development weekend. There is also a special keyring bundle available in the C-Store for a limited time. For 2,250 Zen, the bundle includes 20 master keys and an ultimate tech upgrade. When applied to an upgradable piece of gear, it will instantly increase it to Mark 15 and Epic quality for zero dilithium cost. These bundles will only be available until June 28th. And for captains playing on a console, you can take on the ultimate Starfleet test. In the original, no-win scenario, the Kobayashi Maru is now available to captains level 50 and up for a short time. Defend the transport from waves of enemy ships and earn yourself a weekend event voucher, which can be turned in for some very exclusive prizes. This event is now live and runs through June 25th on Xbox and PS4. In other news, if you've been thinking about getting that lifetime subscription, Now's the time, because they're on sale for both PC and console. You can get access to many items and services, and the very special veteran-exclusive rewards, at a discounted price, of course. PC players currently get $100 off their lifetime subscriptions, while console players can get 33% off. As we mentioned a few weeks ago, the Priority One Armada is celebrating its fifth year anniversary, as well as its one year anniversary for its weekly Twitch stream. Just like in years past, we're celebrating for the entire month of June with incredible events, competitions, and giveaways. In total, there is over 10 billion energy credits worth of prizes up for grabs. For instance, on June 27th, fly across the galaxy for another chance to solve the clues and locate Winters in the famous Where's Winters event. This event alone has over 600 million EC worth of prizes each day that the event is run, and over 2.5 billion energy credits altogether. There's never been a better time to join the Priority One Armada, so head over to PriorityOneArmada.com and sign up today for even more chances to win some of the great prizes we're giving away. In other Star Trek gaming news, think you have the lobes to succeed at intergalactic trade business? Do they tingle at the sound of gold press latinum? Thanks to a new tabletop game from WizKids, Star Trek Galactic Enterprises, you'll have the chance to build your Ferengi business empire. 
In Galactic Enterprises, players will take on the role of a Ferengi merchant, buying and selling cosmic wares, trying to corner the market on one product to maximize profits. You'll try to negotiate your way through business deals with other players, either by working together to share the profit, or agree to share only to sell at a lower price and steal the profit for yourself. Memorize those rules of acquisition and be ready when Star Trek Galactic Enterprises releases this July. Captains, I just want to remind you that Priority One does have a Discord channel. So if you'd like to come on and chat about whatever games you're playing, head on over to PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO371 for the link. Well, Captains, that's it for this week's Star Trek Online and Gaming News. Now let's look up to the night sky with another Astrometrics Report with Dr. Robert Hurt. For this week's Astrometrics Report, I wanted to take a look at the multi-sensory side of communicating astronomy for education and engagement to the public. In fact, it was my privilege this past week to host over 60 colleagues from around the world at a conference we called AstroViz 2018, held at the California Institute of Technology in Pasadena. The purpose was to bring together people who are looking for creative ways to share the wonders of the universe through images, sounds, and even tactile experiences. There were a number of virtual reality experiences being demoed, including a flyby of the upcoming James Webb Space Telescope, as well as a fly-through of the Orion Nebula, as seen in visible light and infrared light reconstructed from observations from the Hubble and Spitzer Space Telescopes. Tactile experiences included 3D printed versions of supernova as imagined through the data from Chandra's X-ray observatory, as well as a 3D mesh representing the early universe also printed in a physical form. One of my personal favorites was a group called System Sounds, a collection of musicians and astrophysicists who found creative ways to turn astronomical discoveries into audible experiences. You can play the rings of Saturn like a harp, or listen to the notes and chords generated by the orbiting planets of the TRAPPIST-1 exoplanet system. It was a particular pleasure to bring Rick Sternback in to provide the opening keynote. Rick should be known to anyone who is familiar with Star Trek for his years of creating incredible technologies and imagery for Star Trek The Next Generation through Star Trek Enterprise. But before that, he was one of the artists responsible for bringing us the incredible visions of the universe in Carl Sagan's groundbreaking series, Cosmos. He walked us through the decidedly analog processes they used to create the incredible imagery in that series, ranging from airbrushes to Dremel tools. This followed a wonderful overview of the history of astronomical artwork based on scientific discovery. Our closing keynote was provided by composer and musician Eric Whitaker, known for his choral work and for some contributions to movie scores, including Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Eric walked us through the creative process behind his symphony, Deep Field, inspired by Hubble's deep field observations of the distant universe. Eric is also known for conducting virtual choirs in which singers from all over the world may simply submit videos that later get compiled into full choral pieces. If you'd like to contribute your own voice to a choral piece based on Deep Field, you have until June 27th to go to his website and submit your YouTube video. If any of this sounded interesting, the good news is all of the sessions, including the keynotes, will be posted online on a YouTube channel for AstroViz. We will, of course, have many links in the show notes for everything I've mentioned here in case you'd like to follow up on your own. 
That wraps it up for this week's Astrometrics Report. Let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Episode 370's community question was, What changes, if any, do you hope are made to After Trek? From Patreon, Shane Hoover writes in, I suspect the need to rethink After Trek goes hand-in-hand with the departure of Harberts and Berg. They were the most regular guests of After Trek, and the show seemed sometimes to be a platform for them to directly voice their vision of the show. I'd like to see After Trek get even more into audience discourse. I really hope they keep giving us access to the actors and writers for behind-the-scenes perspectives, though. You know, interestingly enough, I wonder if Harberts and Berg really just ended up cracking under pressure. Right, because because Harberts specifically had to address a lot of criticism about his handling of the first gay couple mm-hmm. in Star Trek. Now, this is not an excuse for them. I don't know. I, I think when you have two showrunners doing a job like that, I mean, that's twice as many people for one position. And I know that they've, you know, they got a lot of criticism and there was a lot of things that they had to deal with, but um, I... I don't think it was that. I think that it was just their style, uh, like like with Akiva Goldsman, and I think that there was just no place for that in the writers' room or for or in Star Trek, for that matter. Now, uh, Shane actually said something interesting that um, that I picked up on, which was talking about After Trek getting into more audience discourse, and I kind of like that idea. I like the idea of of having a little bit more interaction with the audience, maybe in less of a scripted way. I mean, Elijah, you you have more experience than I'm aware of, but it always felt very uh, tightly controlled what the audience would be allowed to react to or what you would be able to ask during the oh, yeah. shows. And I personally find, I mean, this is part of the reason that we do a feedback segment because when we get to hear from our listeners, then we get to open up a whole new conversation. Um, so if they could somehow make After Trek uh, a little bit more uh, participatory with the audience, I think that would be great. From Patreon, David S. says, I think they should replace After Trek with Priority One After Hours. And I couldn't agree more, David. I think that that's a great idea. I absolutely agree with David S. I agree, too. If you're listening, CBS, uh, hire us. Call me. From Twitter, Hayden Jones says, I have not actually seen the program, but if I were to become a viewer, they would need to make it available as a podcast. And how about hosting some episodes in Toronto? From PriorityOnePodcast.com, Chiyu Umiku says, After Trek needs more Elijah shenanigans. I agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) I think we all really need more Elijah shenanigans. Thanks. From Twitter, Thomas Townley writes in, Don't know. Kind of think the after show might be a bit played out. No. Yes. I I like the after show. I'm actually kind of with Thomas Townley on this because, God, they've been doing the after show thing for years and i totally get it i, I understand since why walking dead no because they've been doing it at least in the uk it's been a thing for the big major crowd-pleasing tv shows they've always had an after program i, I can think of at least for like the past five six seven years at least 
Um, and it's it's a great from a production standpoint because it's basically free content. You're getting people to keep their butts in their chairs for at least an extra half an hour after whatever show ends. Um, but it's you know you're not having to produce an awful lot of original content. It's pretty low budget. It was never a thing that I was into. But then again, I got better things to do with my time than to talk about the show that I wait. I have to be careful because I do spend quite a lot of time talking about the show that I just watched. That's literally what we're doing right now. <laughs> anyway, I, I kind of agree with Thomas Townley. Isn't it time for this to end? Produce something more. Produce something original. Via email, Matt Francis says, I think the best way to improve After Trek would be to get a new host. They would struggle to find a cheesier, more annoying host than Matt Myra. He would suit a Star Wars show much better, as Star Wars is already cheesy. When I watched the first episode of After Trek, I almost turned it off because he was so over-the-top and annoying. I'm guessing they got a lot of complaints about him as he toned down the cheese for the subsequent episodes, but still, almost anyone would be a better host. That's pretty harsh, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty yeah. harsh, but, you know, um, yes, I think he evolved throughout the course of After Trek. Um, at first, it was a little bit over the top. I do agree. Um, by the time I got to see the episode and, and was at the live taping, he seemed to have kind of, I think it was toned back. I think he, re- he was receiving that type of feedback um, and allowed his fandom to show more than his geek out about what he was doing. But like you, Anthony, you know, we mentioned you mentioned last week how you uh, you like him, like you liked him very much as a host. I he grew on me. He certainly grew on me. I think I think a lot of those early episodes. I mean, I don't disagree that they were kind of clunky, but I I honestly think he was probably really nervous. Like he'd never done anything like that before. He was going to be on. He's done podcasts before, but he's never been like a host on a show. He's putting his fandom out there for everyone. I mean, he's got to he's got to be the expert. I think a lot of what people saw as over the top or annoying was probably just him being nervous and wanting to please everybody and, and, you know, kind of prove that he should be there. And, um, I hope, I hope he does come back. You are so nice. You are so nice. You're like trying to sympathize with him. There is no excuse for CBS hiring somebody to be in a commentary show for their flagship science fiction franchise who is nervous. I'm sorry. There are so many highly qualified presenters in New York City and Los Angeles that would have come on day one knowing nothing about Star Trek and done a, and, and not been nervous. There is absolutely zero excuse for nerves. So you're like, I totally get you're being super nice, but no. Just no. Well, that wraps up episode 371 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. For more great podcasts like Mission Log, Women at Warp, and The Trek Files, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. Before we go, here's a reminder of our community question this week. If you could develop one new Star Trek series, what would it be? Captains, you know that we love hearing from you, so let's keep those hailing frequencies open. Leave a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or tweet us at PriorityOnePod. Don't miss a thing from the Star Trek multiverse. Catch our episodes every Friday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.PriorityOnePodcast.com. 
You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Tuesday nights at around 11 o'clock Eastern on Facebook. Keep an eye on our social media channels for details. And if that wasn't enough, you can join us in Star Trek Online by joining the Priority One Armada. If you're interested, just head over to PriorityOneArmada.com and sign up today. Don't forget that every Saturday night, the Armada takes to Twitch.tv, where they review the latest Star Trek Online and Armada news, as well as highlighting some of the amazing members in the community. Each week, the Armada teams up with you, the viewers, to earn things like reputation marks and dilithium. And of course, with regular giveaways, there's something for all Star Trek Online players, new and old. Follow us on twitch.tv forward slash priority one. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at patreon.com forward slash priority one. Even if you can't make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at guardfrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons & Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to heroesrisepodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio team, led by Michael McDonald, with assistance from Brandon Parker, Jake Morgan, and Midnight Shadow 7. A very special thanks to Jake as well, a producer on the show who assists in the writing of our script and spearheading our social media endeavors. Thanks to our graphic artist and web designer, Henry Pomper. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Thanks to Patreon associate producers, Navy Boats Lou and Jim DeVico. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community and our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Su no. Engage. Captain. I liked it, Anthony. I like how you call him Anthony. And I'm sorry, it's a it's Anthony. No, 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 no. I like the way you Anthony. say it too. Don't change, please. Don't listen to him. That slurred that. Now, captains, of course, a did, did the mosquitoes? Did the mosquitoes like bite you in your mouth? Yeah, I, they like, injected. W- they injected <laughs> stupid. <laughs> That's what it is. Thursday. 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 It was reported on Thursday. I think we all have numb tongue. Numb tongue. Nice. Nice. What's numb tongue? I quit, guys. I'm just gonna go home. Elijah. No, no. Elijah. It's fine. I have some bad news. You're fired. <laughs>
<laughs> Under the agreement, CBS Television Studios. Are you done? I'm done. Okay. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.